Republicans say it is not over until each and every vote has been suppressed. So that's... <laughs> that sounds about right, doesn't it? Sorry to say. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. For another thrilling episode of what we call the Bradcast. Glad to have you here with us. Uh, Donald Trump's finely tuned machine. Is that what he calls it, Desi Doyen? Finely <laughs> yeah. well-oiled something, machine? Something stupid like that, yes. Whatever he calls his administration continues to be a finely tuned dumpster fire today. With reports flying now that he is about to fire his chief of staff, John Kelly, although we've been hearing those reports now for some months. Uh, But John Kelly is maybe about to go. His secretary for Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen, is now on the chopping block and now in what CNN is describing as a stunning move. First Lady Melania Trump, no, she's not being fired, but she has called (laughs) for the firing of Deputy National Security Advisor Mira Ricardel, who is apparently second in command to Trump's National Security Advisor John Bolton. That is, by the way, his third NSA for those uh, having trouble keeping track. Melania's office put out a statement reading, quote, It is the position of the office of the First Lady that Ricardel no longer deserves the honor of serving in this White House. Not sure how much of an honor it actually is, but the idea that a First Lady is putting out a statement calling for an administration official to be fired is, in fact, stunning. I don't know that we've ever seen anything like that. Yeah, that's that's bizarre. I'm not even sure what to make of that. I know. We've run out of uh, adjectives for what's going on here at this point, because at the same time, by the way, CNN is suing the White House in response to the White House banning White House correspondent Jim Acosta 
from covering the White House. That after they had falsely pretended that he had manhandled an intern uh, during a press conference, despite video showing otherwise, and uh, despite doctored video put out by the White House trying to make the claim that uh, he had done so. So um, now they're filing a lawsuit. The White House is coming up with a new explanation. Yes, they, they've, they've, they've changed their story already. Now they're saying it now? that it was because <clears throat> that because Jim Acosta was rude to his colleagues by not letting them ask questions because he was insisting on continuing to ask the question he was trying to get answered. Yeah. Okay, so that's what's going on. I don't know that we have ever had a, a such a finely enough tuned machine that we have a first lady publicly calling for an official to be fired after just seven months on the job or that a reporter had to be banned from the White House because he asked perfectly legitimate questions of a president that the White House did not like. But that's just some of the mess that continues to burn in Donald Trump's D.C. dumpster fire today. But once again, we are focusing here at least trying to on the broadcast on the continuing news and continuing lawsuits following uh, last Tuesday's critical midterm elections. We'll be joined momentarily by the head of Common Cause Georgia, which won an important lawsuit last night amid the fight to count ballots in the gubernatorial race in Georgia between vote suppressor and just days ago resigned Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp. And his challenger for the governor's race, Democrat Stacey Abrams, who is currently just under one and a half points behind Kemp in what suffices for a vote count in the state of Georgia, with uh, Kemp less than three tenths of a percentage point now away from being forced into a runoff election. Also, in a what I think is a separate federal lawsuit, a judge found that Brian Kemp violated the Civil Rights Act by rejecting certain absentee ballots. So that was, I believe, the fourth loss in a federal court over just the past couple of weeks for Brian Kemp. But there are so many lawsuits and challenges at this point against him that I have lost track. Hopefully our guest, the executive director of Common Cause Georgia, can help us make at least some sense of the mess in Georgia today. That's coming up shortly. Also a bit later, Desi Doyen, you'll be here with more disturbing news, I'm sorry to say. Yes. Out of these uh, record-breaking California fires. But some encouraging news, at least for now, for the moment, concerning the Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah, it's a mixed bag today on the Green News Report. At best. Uh, but first, uh, some news out of some of the other states that are still fighting over election results or still counting ballots a week after the midterms. We spoke on this program yesterday with Ion Sancho. The uh, legendary 28-year former supervisor of elections in Leon County, Florida, that's the state's capital of Tallahassee, uh, he had been chosen by both parties to oversee the presidential recount in Florida back in 2000, which was eventually stopped by the U.S. Supreme Court at the behest of Republicans on Team George W. Bush denying Al Gore at the time what would almost certainly have been a win in Florida and with it the uh, a win across the country in the Electoral College uh, for the presidency of the United States. Well, that was in 2000, 18 years ago. By the way, I saw someone mention that the 2000 recount is now old enough to have its vote not counted 
in the 2018 <laughs> elections. In any event, we have uh, now three statewide recounts going on in Florida in the governor's race between Republican Ron DeSantis and Democrat Andrew Gillum, in the U.S. Senate race between incumbent Democrat uh, Bill Nelson and termed out Republican Florida Governor Rick Scott, and even one in the agriculture agriculture commissioner's race. Uh, so it's unprecedented for even one statewide recount to happen in Florida, much less three of them at the same time. But it's Florida, so recount may not mean what you think it means. Right now, it means running all of the uh, hand-marked paper ballots back through the same tabulation computers again, where they'll be tabulated either correctly or incorrectly. No one knows because no one is allowed to physically examine those ballots to find out one way or another. But as uh, Sancho told me, uh, he's a longtime election integrity champion. He finally resigned his post in 2016 in Leon County. As he told me yesterday, it would be physically impossible for Palm Beach County, the most populist and most democratic county in the state, to physically run all of their ballots through the ESNS tabulators in time to meet the state's pretty much arbitrary deadline of this Thursday at 3 p.m. The machines just can't tabulate that many uh, ballots. They can only uh, take uh, stacks of 300 at a time, he told me, and there are hundreds of thousands to be counted. Even if they went around the clock, they probably could not get this done by Thursday in one le race, much less three different races. So, you know, and there, as I say, there's no reason, and as uh, Ion said on yesterday's show, there's really no reason for this short deadline. Out here in California, we don't even finish our first count until December, much less a first count and a recount as they're doing in Florida. So no real reason for that other than Republicans in the state trying to make it as difficult as possible to count ballots and for the public to know that those ballots have been counted Accurately. Well, now with uh, Palm Beach, as he noted, uh, being almost impossible, physically impossible to count those ballots, a similar case, most likely in Broward County, where they were a day or so late even beginning this so-called recount. We now have this breaking in uh, Leon County. A Leon County circuit judge is expected to issue an order today extending the deadline for recounts in Palm Beach County until November 20. That's about five days after the original 3 p.m. Thursday deadline, according to the Palm Beach Post. The order would include extending the recounting of votes in the U.S. Senate race between Nelson and Scott, in the governor's race between DeSantis and Gillum, and in the race for Agriculture Commission, between Democrat Nikki Fried and Republican Matt Caldwell. Those three races, those are the statewide races, as well as a fourth race that is being recounted in Palm Beach County. That one uh, for a state house district between uh, Democrat Jim Bonfiglio and Republican Mike Caruso. Now, the extension for all of those races comes out of a lawsuit filed by Bonfiglio, the uh, Democrat in that House district race. 
He is currently losing to the Republican by just 37 votes. And uh, he asked the judge to extend all, either all of the races, extend the uh, so-called recount time, or put his race first, since his race would require less time to actually recount. And uh, now, according to the Palm Beach Post, the judge decided to extend all of the races, at least in Palm Beach. That's that's great. I'm glad to hear that because it does sound like it's crazy to try to force them to count all of these ballots on their crappy machines as fast as they need to be counted. When they physically cannot be counted that quickly. Bonfiglio uh, said he asked the judge um, uh, to extend all of these races uh, and Palm Beach County Supervisor of Elections, Susan Booker, told the Palm Beach Post that her understanding is that whatever the judge orders will be challenged by the Florida Secretary of State in federal courts. Now, Florida Secretary of State, man by the name of Ken Detzner, he is hand-selected in Florida by the governor, in this case, Governor Rick Scott, whose lead over Senator Bill Nelson is rapidly disappearing as votes are actually being counted in the state of Florida. Booker said late on Monday night that her staff um, could complete the recount for the U.S. Senate race by Thursday at 3 p.m., uh, but that would mean that none of the other races could be completed in time. And by the way, in the U.S. Senate race, that will probably extend to Florida's version of a hand count where they will take the vo the uh, ballots that the computers found either no vote on or too many votes on in the Senate race. Those are set aside. Those are remade onto other paper ballots in case there's a vote that the computer didn't read. And then those paper ballots are run through the machines again. And That's, they have to do that by law. And they have to do that by law. That's what is called a, a manual count in the state of Florida. But uh, Booker, in any event, in Palm Beach, says one race they can probably get through maybe in the U.S. Senate, but that would mean that the uh, vote tallies in the governor's race, the Agriculture co uh, Commission, and uh, the Bonfiglio's race, that those results, they wouldn't get a recount. And instead, the uh, they would be forced to submit the results that were certified initially by last Saturday because that's the initial deadline for counting initial votes in the state of Florida, like three days after the after the election, which is already an insanely short amount of time. And also, not all of the mail-in ballots have arrived, for example, from overseas. They haven't, they haven't even arrived from overseas. Overseas and military voters, their ballots are not due until this Saturday, if I understand. So those ballots haven't even been counted at all. Uh, at least the, the, the stragglers that can still come in. So anyway, Booker tells the Post that she thinks they're going to go to the federal courts. Well, to challenge this uh, ruling today in Leon County, well, going to the federal courts is exactly what the Republicans did back in 2000. As you'll recall, when the U.S. Supreme Court took the unprecedented step of intervening in a state election to effectively stop the counting and make George W. Bush the president. So far, Republicans in the state have been following that exact model. They've been creating phony, you know, declaring phony claims of uh, fraud in Palm Beach and Broward County, for which there is zero evidence. 
both of those counties being uh, Democratic strongholds, ginning up protests outside the uh, the uh, supervi- election supervisor's offices down there in Broward County. So I expect that playbook w- will continue. Well, it worked tr- really well last time. Yeah, of course. They'll try to get a favorable ruling from a federal court. Good luck with that. But for now, anyway, Palm Beach has some more time to actually count actually machine recount paper ballots. Scott's lead right now over Bill Nelson is officially down to about 12,500 votes. DeSantis, uh, the Republican uh, in the governor's race, currently leads Gillum uh, by about 33,000 votes in both cases out of more than 8 million ballots cast. So we will continue to keep our eyes on that as it as that mess dumpster fire unfolds Uh, and in some good news for Democrats in Arizona some good news which broke shortly after we got off air yesterday it is now official ish uh, with the news that we had predicted on yesterday's show Democrat uh, Kirsten Nielsen Kirsten Nielsen see (laughs) different one different one similarly ridiculous spelling but in any event Democrat Kirsten Sinema won Arizona's open U.S. Senate seat, according to the people who call these things over at Associated Press, beating Republican Congresswoman Martha McSally in the battle to replace GOP Senator Jeff Flake, who is uh, retiring. The three-term Congresswoman Cinema won after a slow vote count, as AP describes it, that dragged on for nearly a week after voters went to the polls on November 6th. Oh, my, nearly a week we had to wait, Desi. The horror. How did we make it this long to see, you know, who actually won or lost a U.S. Senate seat that will be held for the next six years? It was not a slow count, AP. It was a ton of vote-by-mail ballots that could not even be counted until after Election Day when each one of them has to be authenticated before it can be uh, tallied. That's not a slow count. That's what happens when some 75 percent of voters cast ballots via mail, which is now the case in Arizona. So uh, cinema <clears throat> becomes the first uh, Arizona's first Democratic U.S. senator since 1994. And uh, she also becomes the first woman to represent the state as a U.S. senator ever. Her win, according to AP, cemented Arizona as a swing state after years of Republican dominance. Cinema first came to prominence as an openly bisexual Green Party activist in Phoenix. She is now a Democrat, but still bisexual, as I understand it. <laughs> Uh, making her the uh, also the first openly by U.S. senator. So there's that. McSally, on the other hand, is a former Air Force pilot who had embraced Donald Trump after initially opposing him during the 2016 elections. She conceded defeat in a video uh, posted on Monday night to social media. Her gracious concession, I should note, is no small thing. For a Republican these days, according to Politico over the weekend, uh, as cinema took the lead and widened the margin uh, over McSally, Politico reported, quote, top officials with the White House and RNC who have been prodding the McSally campaign to amp up its efforts have expressed frustration 
that the Arizona congresswoman hasn't tried to drive a message that there's something amiss with the vote count. So to her credit, she did not take that bait, though there may be a reason for that, which I'll get to in in a moment. Don't give McSally too much credit here. In any event, during her six years in Congress, Cinema built one of the most centrist records in the Democratic caucus. So she's a conservative Democrat. She voted for bills that uh, back that uh, were backed by Trump more than 60 percent of the time. AP reports she backed legislation increasing penalties against people in the country illegally who commit crimes. McSally's attacks, meanwhile, on cinema reached back more than 15 years when cinema was a Green Party spokeswoman and an anti-war activist opposed to the Iraq war. McSally, that was about all that McSally had to use against cinema, frankly, um, and she used it to brand uh, cinema as a traitor, really, for opposing the Iraq war. Uh, cinema attacked McSally's leadership of the uh, of last year's failed Affordable Care Act repeal effort as a sign that she would not protect Arizona residents with pre-existing medical conditions, even as McSally argued that she would protect patients despite her vote on the bill that would have removed those protections. So the Democrats pick up a, uh, a Republican U.S. Senate seat. Now, as I mentioned, McSally has been receiving these plaudits since her reasonable concession video posted last night, which she congratulated Cinema, wished her luck, said she was sorry the results didn't come out differently, but that Arizona's best days are still ahead. You know, the stuff that pretty much all candidates used to do when they lost an election. Well, she's been getting all of this credit for having done that. Josh Marshall observes on Twitter, I give McSally credit for a graceful con concession, but let's be clear, it only stands out because of the moral sludge of Trumpism in which any show of grace or honorable, honorable conduct is shocking. Which is true. I mean, it's it's shocking that she simply did the right thing and didn't take the White House uh, bait to make up phony claims of uh, voter fraud and everything else. So I guess she deserves credit for that. Well, the um, bar is very low these days. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that's a, a, a response to Josh said uh, that's how low the bar has been set mm -hmm. on Republicans. Act decent for five minutes and you're a hero. Someone else replied to say, how long will it be before we praise Republicans for washing their hands after going to the bathroom? <laughs> um, in any event, uh, the, the, I would argue and others I see are doing this as well today that uh, really the only reason that McSally didn't take the bait, that she was in any way gracious about any of this is because that she's likely to still become a senator very soon. John Kyle, who was one of her political mentors, was appointed in September to fill the uh, seat left vacant by the death of Senator John McCain. Uh, Kyle has said he was only going to serve through January 3, which means the state's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, who was just reelected by big numbers, that he will get to select another senator to take that seat. That person would then have to run for reelection in 2020. But Ducey had campaigned with McSally uh, frequently last month. So it is believed that Ducey will likely 
uh, tap Martha McSally to become the next U.S. senator from Arizona anyway. So really, she there's nothing in it for her to go out and fight and yell and scream. She's probably going to win the U.S. Senate anyway. So there's that. For now, Arizona's Senate race, at least from last Tuesday, is settled with Dems flipping that uh, seat, that red seat to blue. That means Republicans have picked up so far just one U.S. Senate seat. But that could go to two, depending on how Florida works out. We will continue to watch that. And meanwhile, in Georgia, where there is no Senate seat at stake, the governor's election continues to be a mess with more court rulings coming down in favor of Democrats and voting rights advocates. That dumpster fire is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Georgia Georgia Oh Georgia The whole day through Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Uh yeah I don't know if it's the old sweet song that keeps Georgia on my mind. But welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Not that we predicted it. Repeatedly warned about it might uh, be a more accurate phrase here. But the fight to count votes in Georgia's governor's race is now officially an absolute mess one week after Election Day. As you know too well by now, the contest was one in which Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, used every vote suppressor trick in the book to try to keep certain Georgians from being able to register to vote at all and to make it as difficult as possible for those who did manage to cast a vote to actually have their votes counted as cast. Kemp uh, who is running against African-American Democrat Stacey Abrams to become the Peach State's next governor, declared victory last Thursday and at the same time finally resigned as Secretary of State, which Abrams, voting rights advocates, and even former president and Georgia resident Jimmy Carter had been begging Kemp to do long ago in hopes of avoiding just some of the messes that we are now seeing in the post-election canvas period with thousands of absentee and provisional ballots having been rejected by county officials across the state, and both the Abrams camp and voting rights advocates lining up in court to sue Brian Kemp and to sue the state and the Secretary of State's office in order to try and re-enfranchise thousands of voters and otherwise um, count legitimately cast ballots in hopes of something that resembles a legitimate count. We had warned over and over again before the election that that seems all but impossible at this point. According to the latest reported numbers from the Georgia Secretary of State's website, 
And remember, many of these uh, numbers are were from 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that Georgia requires all voters to use at the polls when casting a normal ballot on Election Day. So the accuracy of those votes can never be adjudicated, especially uh, with touchscreens reportedly flipping votes from Abrams to Kemp. In any event, according to the numbers that we have, Brian Kemp now reportedly leads Stacey Abrams by less than one and a half points. Kemp has 50.26 percent. Stacey Abrams has 48.79 percent. So Kemp is... Now just 0.26 of a percent above what would trigger a runoff in December for this election. About 21,000 votes picked up by Abrams out of some 4 million cast would trigger such a runoff. A recount of the current race could also occur. That would be triggered if about 19,000 more votes were picked up by Abrams. Uh, all of this uh, may be difficult, but that's what the the fight is uh, is really all about, at least for the Abrams team right now in Georgia. So it's little wonder that lawsuits are now flying and have been flying for weeks and months even, as we've been uh, covering on this program. And now with thousands of rejected provisionals and absentee ballots still said to be uncounted across the state and little idea from anyone how many were rejected for good reason, because they were fraudulent or the voter was not properly registered or for bad reason, because the voter had been wrongly removed from the voting rolls under Brian Kemp or because a voter forgot to include their birthday on the absentee ballot envelope or a partisan election official who is not a handwriting expert decided that a signature did not match the one that was on the voter's registration record. Anyway, to that end, Common Cause of Georgia won an important lawsuit in federal court on Monday night, announced not long after we went off air. As the New York Times reports, a federal judge on Monday delayed the certification of the results of Georgia's governor's race, citing concerns about the counting of provisional ballots and effectively deepening the turmoil surrounding one of the year's most acrimonious campaigns. In a 56-page ruling, Judge Amy Totenberg forbade Georgia's Secretary of State Robin Crittenden she was appointed, by the way, Secretary of State just last week after Kemp resigned late in the week when he declared victory. Um, the judge barred Crittenden from certifying the election outcome until at least Friday evening. She also ordered Crittenden's office to immediately establish and publicize on its website a secure and free access hotline or website for provisional ballot voters to access in order to determine whether their provisional ballots were counted and if they were not counted, provide a detailed reason to the voters as to why. In a statement released uh, on Monday night, Sarah Henderson, the executive director of Common Cause Georgia, which filed this particular lawsuit. There's a lot of them flying right now. Um, Sarah Henderson said today's ruling is a victory for the voters of Georgia. We are all stronger when every eligible voter is allowed to participate in our elections. This victory, she said, helps achieve greater voter confidence in our elections. Well, that at this point 
will be no easy feat in the state of Georgia. Joining us now to explain this victory, what it means, and to hopefully help me understand this ruling and the many other issues still in play as the fight continues to count all legitimate votes in Georgia, is Sarah Henderson of Common Cause Georgia, where she is also a political science professor at Clayton State University in Morrow, Georgia. Sarah Henderson, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so first, as I understand it, many counties have already certified their results, but the state uh, had planned to certify the results on the, at the state level on, on Wednesday, but now they're being forced to do so no sooner than this Friday. Do I understand that math correctly? Yes, that's correct. Actually, our current election code states that they don't, the state does not have to certify the election results until next Tuesday. So they actually have more time than Friday, mm-hmm. but because of the runoff, their argument is, uh, Chris Harvey says, we need to ensure that there's no confusion. Uh, early voting starts next week for the Secretary of State's runoff. <laughs> so uh, they did wanted to immediately certify uh, by 5 p.m. today, Wednesday. So uh, we're, we're hopeful that... Um, Secretary Crittenden will make the right decision and delay certification until next Tuesday um, when the law says that she can, uh, when it has to be finalized, Mm -hmm. because we need every moment we can possibly get in order to look over these provisionals and and count the ones that that are valid. I'm struck by the fact that early voting begins for the runoff next week. That that runoff would be December, was it December 4 or, or 5? Four. December 4. Yes. And at this point, we don't know if there even will be a runoff. There could be one potentially in the governor's race. Um, but sticking to the vote count for the current election that we're fighting over, do, doesn't the Help America Vote Act uh, or HAVA already require states to inform uh, provisional ballot voters uh, and absentee rejected voters and so forth if their ballots were accepted or not? Uh, I I was surprised that um, the judge here, uh, Judge Totenberg, had to order the Secretary of State to set up a site all of a sudden uh, so that provisional voters can figure out if they were counted or not this week. Right. So, you know, so much of the burden here in Georgia is placed on the voter. Mm-hmm. And we have really, you know, cut constantly the budget at the state level uh, for elections. And so the counties have suffered. And in essence, we just, they don't have the proper equipment mm-hmm. to be able to let voters know in a timely manner that their ballot was rejected. People are still receiving uh, rejected absentee ballots today. Um, and they could have had time to, you know, contest that ballot. And these are folks that mailed it in several weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about someone that showed up on Election Day. So um, we have an antiquated system, and to the extent that the 159 counties are all in charge of their elections. I, I can tell you from firsthand experience that is not the case, um, that the state controls everything about our elections process. And uh, this whole <laughs> circus that mm-hmm. we're witnessing is just a product of years and years of defunding elections. 
it it really is a circus at this point. What what will the Secretary of State? I know the judge has ordered now uh, the Secretary of State to review or have county election officials review uh, in all counties uh, all of the provisional ballots to determine if they were rejected because of registration issues. But if they were already rejected, what will the Secretary of State or the county election officials actually be looking at in such a review? Do you understand? <laughs> well, uh, yes. So there, the, those rejected provisional ballots are not thrown away or shredded. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are kept until the state certifies the election. And in some cases, they're kept for two years, for 24 months. Mm-hmm. So um, we're not talking about having to go dig through garbage cans. I mean, these mm-hmm. are, you know, we're looking at r- roughly a little over 21,000 ballots um, and that were cast due to voter registration issues. So, yeah, the county officials are going to have to go back. They're going to have to review these. And they're going to have to recertify after they've corrected the vote total. There was about 5,000 votes, as I understand it, that were added to the totals uh, over the weekend, primarily in Abrams' favor. I'm confused about whether those, where those votes actually came from. Were those uh, newly discovered votes, or were these the, some of those uh, rejected absentees and provisionals that uh, election officials had gone back to, uh, perhaps because they had allegedly mismatched signatures that voters were able to cure. Most of those votes, of those 5,000 votes, I think, fell in Abrams' favor. Um, do we know where Do you, where did the, where, where are those votes coming from uh, before we get to the 21,000 that you just mentioned? Well, th- those votes are primarily coming from counties who were counting uh, over the weekend, mm-hmm. counting provisional ballots, and also, uh, you know, Secretary of State Crittenden has issued um, to the counties that they need to accept any absentee ballot, even if it didn't have uh, birth date on the application. Mm -hmm. So we have this administrative action from the the SOS, and that has increased uh, the the numbers as well. So counties are still, in fact, Fulton County, the largest county in the state, is just certifying this afternoon their election results. So... uh, they were granted an extension because they did have four polling locations open till 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. on election night, and they have had numerous issues with provisional and absentee ballots as well. So those are going to continue to change. And, again, this goes back to our antiquated system. You, you have to call each county office to find out how many provisional ballots were cast at that particular, in that particular county. Mm-hmm. Um, even the state has to do that. So there's not a system of reporting that's standardized that we can really, you know, get that information faster. Uh, as noted, um, Stacey Abrams would need to pick up about 21,000 votes in order to force that runoff in December in the governor's race. Uh, about 19,000 vote pickup. There would be a a recount, or at least what suffices for one in Georgia, which with, uh, as I said, those 100% unverifiable touchscreen votes uh, cast across the state. Uh, so recounting those is largely meaningless. But are there uh, are there enough votes unre- uncounted, rejected, or otherwise questionable out there to actually move the needle as much as would be required to uh, either trigger a runoff or a recount? Or is everyone just sort of guessing at it at this point? Well, uh, uh, 
I will say this, and this, this has been my, my contention from the moment we filed this suit the, the day before the election. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, the gubernatorial race is extremely important, obviously. But we have, just for an ex- as an example, three state house races mm-hmm. in Metro Atlanta, Cobb, Fulton, and Gwinnett, that are within 300 votes. Right. So, you know, and we're also looking at, we've got four constitutional amendments that, that, that passed. So, you, you know, looking at all of that stuff, and we encourage Judge Sodenberg to, to pay attention to that as well, mm-hmm. um, not get totally hung up on the gubernatorial, because we don't know. We don't know how many votes are out mm. there, and we're still waiting for that information. So the fight over these uh, governor uh, races ballots it could affect some of these House races that are still undecided if voters are able to come in and some way or another cure their ballots or county officials are ordered to count these provisionals that they had tossed out. Um as I understand, uh, in your lawsuit, Sarah Henderson, uh, Common Cause Georgia had charged that Brian Kemp himself is responsible for much of this mess. Uh, of course, we know he's responsible for a lot of the mess, but uh, specifically regarding this vulnerability that was discovered just before Election Day on the state's My Voter Registration page. We discussed that um, just before the election. It apparently allowed anybody if they you, to actually be able to go online and actually change other voters registrations even delete some of them that had been kept sort of on the down low uh, when it was discovered Democrats notified Kemp's office about it but he himself publicized that vulnerability loudly claiming the Democrats were trying to hack the voter registration uh, database how is uh, common cause arguing that that public charge by uh, Brian Kemp played into this whole mess well, I mean, we, it just points out what we've said for you know, over a decade, mm-hmm. uh, that there are vulnerabilities in the system that need to be corrected uh, immediately. And, you know, th- this goes to the whole, you know, let me point out the Democratic Party of Georgia, because I am, you know, essentially running against them mm-hmm. to be governor. He did the same thing to Logan Lamb, who was one of the key witnesses in several cases mm-hmm. related to our voting machines here in Georgia. So he, he, he and, and that's why it's so hard for us to do this work in the state. Well, it was under uh, campus Secretary of State because he victimizes his office and he makes us look like we are the ones that are, you know, sort of being critical and, and coming after him for, for whatever reason. But the, the Democratic Party of Georgia, they had no, there was no hacking of him. But it really illuminated the situation and how really dire it is that we correct this problem and offering six months of credit monitoring is not going to cut it this time you know we've got to protect these voter files is there a fear that in fact that vulnerability did allow some people to change voter registrations uh for for others for other voters and so forth do we have any sense has there been any sort of uh, forensic analysis of uh, you know whether voter registrations were changed before the election thanks to that vulnerability on the uh, Secretary of State's website? We, we wouldn't know. Uh, the Secretary of State's office uh, claims that they have five different third-party vendors who are you know in charge of security and, and cybersecurity, but I don't trust what they have. It's not transparent who the vendors even are. Mm. Uh, so we wouldn't know, and that's what's so sad 
about the whole situation is, you know, that your whole, the whole function of your office is to help engage voters and make sure that they have access to the polls. When you're all you're doing is trying to, you know, put up roadblocks all mm-hmm. the time, uh, that's a that's a huge problem. And another reason that we should have a nonpartisan Secretary of State in, in Georgia. The um, and yet we're 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 about to see a runoff between a Democrat and a Republican for Secretary of State uh, coming up in December, uh, and who knows whether there'll be one for governor's office or not. Uh, AP also reports that the Abrams campaign is now asking that any of the court's orders. Um, in the case, I think this is uh, speaking about your case. There are so many lawsuits going on right now. I'm having trouble keeping up in Georgia. I can only imagine what you are. But uh, the Abrams campaign is asking that the court's orders uh, in the case be applied retroactively to counties that have already certified their returns, meaning those counties would have to reopen their counting process using uh, any of the new standards that are coming out of these uh, lawsuits. Uh, has the judge, uh, Judge Totenberg, yet ruled on that? Are these all of these counties, even if they have certified, now having to go back and recheck all rejected absentees, provisionals, et cetera? Well, our order says that the counties have to go back and check the provisionals marked PR, which means provisional registration. So any absentee ballot, any envelope that has PR, on there, or not absolutely, I'm sorry, provisional ballot, mm-hmm. uh, is, it has to be reviewed again. So essentially, Totenberg, in her opinion that was issued last night, says, look, you know, these certifications at the county level, while, you know, they can continue to certify, they are going to have to go back and look at this. This is, you know, what I say stands type of thing. And, the, you know, the Secretary of State, again, has ultimate authority to... Um, you know, accept recertifications mm-hmm. to not accept certifications from counties. And it's really the certification at the state level that is most important. Boy, uh, yeah, what a mess. Uh, I think some good news, uh, however, from those, uh, a little bit of good news from those court rulings. I note that uh, 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 Kristen Clark, the National Lawyers Committee, uh, for civil rights under law, uh, the director over there, uh, she noted very happily that the um, in Gwinnett County there was uh, where there was a mass rejection of absentee ballots based on omitted or incorrect uh, birth years that that violates the Civil Rights Act and that those ballots must now be counted. That adds another uh, thousand or so uh, 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 ballots, I think, to the count out of Gwinnett County and uh, perhaps around the state. This fi- Are you guys still waiting, uh, Sarah Henderson, for uh, additional rulings from this judge? Do you expect the process to go smoothly from here on out? Or, in other words, what is next at this point for you guys? Well, we're working with the state to ensure that the hotline uh, is up and running, that we can try to offer our ideas and suggestions uh, to make this as easy, easy and smooth as possible. So we're just trying to, you know, continue to gather information uh, from our discovery that was due several hours ago, but um, trying to get all of that information and synthesize it in a way that we can reach out and start educating the public because we technically have a little over two days, <laughs> not too much time to get this done. 
No, you don't. I should let you go so you can do that. Sarah Henderson, uh, Executive Director at Common Cause Georgia. You can find them, follow them, support them on the Twitters at Common Cause GA and on their website, commoncause.org slash Georgia. Sarah Henderson, greatly appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Good luck in this continuing fight, and please stay in touch. Thank you so much. You bet. Holy moly. (laughs) What a mess. Yeah, it's crazy. Makes me wonder, when will the people of Georgia rise up to change this system? Yeah, actually, they are rising up, and a uh, a state senator, I think it was, was arrested uh, in in protest outside. I'm not sure if it was outside the Secretary of State's office or the state capitol in Georgia today. But, man, what a mess. But, of course... We told you this was going to happen. Yeah. And it is happening. And it is a mess. And uh, Kemp is just going to keep muscling his way through to uh, becoming an illegitimate governor of the state of Georgia, if that's what it takes. Apparently, he doesn't give a damn. All right. Quick break. And we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Oh, yeah. And then there's climate change and global warming that uh, doesn't seem to give a damn about elections. Nope. Politics is not its thing. It doesn't care. No, it doesn't. And it has been once again particularly deadly out here in California. As noted in our latest Green News report. This latest round of fires is the most destructive in California state history. The most destructive and now the most deadly. Kids' landmark climate lawsuit against the federal government on hold yet again. Plus... It was a political decision made by a judge. I think it's a disgrace. Judge halts all work on controversial Keystone XL pipeline. Donald Trump is sad. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. 48,000 jobs. I approved it. It's ready to start. 48,000 jobs on the Keystone XL pipeline. Really? Why not just say 48 million jobs? Why not 48 quadrillion jobs? They're all lies. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen having some fun at Trump's sad, pathetic expense. Unfortunately, however, first, 
We've got to get to some very sad news out here in California. Yes, California is again grappling with record-breaking, catastrophic, deadly wildfires. Three major fires now burning in both northern and southern California that, as of airtime, have killed more than 40 people combined and forced more than 300,000 to evacuate. The largest of the fires, the Camp Fire in northern California, went from spark to the most destructive fire in state history in just 48 hours. As of Monday, it became the deadliest as well in state history. Driven by extremely dry weather and high winds, it spread at the speed of 80 football fields a minute, faster than many could evacuate. More than 200 people are still unaccounted for, nearly 7,000 structures destroyed, most of them homes. The state's previous record for the most destructive fire was set just last year. And of course, like last year, Donald Trump is claiming that all of this is because of forest mismanagement or some other nonsense. Any truth to that? Absolutely not. State and local fire officials have rejected those tweets by President Trump that were attacking California and wrongly blaming forest management for the deadly fires. Brian Rice, president of the California Professional Firefighters Association, called Trump's comments, quote, reckless and dangerously wrong. Yeah, I suppose all those folks who live on the beach in Malibu would be shocked to hear that it's because of forest mismanagement that has threatened their homes. In the middle of an urban area. Right. No official cause for the fires has been determined yet, but state regulators on Monday said they are investigating utility companies, Pacific Gas and Electric and Southern California Edison, which both reported equipment failures in the vicinities of all three fires just minutes before each fire began. PG&E is already facing billions of dollars in liability after state agency Cal Fire determined that PG&E's equipment was the cause of those several deadly catastrophic Northern California wildfires last year. But California's outgoing Democratic Governor Jerry Brown, in a press conference on Monday, placed the blame squarely on climate change, noting that fire season has now become a year-round threat in the state. This is not the new normal. This is the new abnormal. And this new abnormal uh, will continue, certainly in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. And unfortunately, the best science is telling us that uh, dryness, uh, warmth, uh, drought, all those things, uh, they're going to intensify. In other news, the sweeping historic climate lawsuit brought by a group of kids against the federal government is on hold again, just days after the U.S. Supreme Court lifted a temporary stay on the trial. 21 children and young adults under the age of 22 are suing the federal government, saying its failure to act on climate change is a violation of their constitutional rights to life and liberty. Late last week, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals again halted that trial, which had been slated to start in late October. The judge ruled the Trump Department of Justice, quote, raises issues that warrant an answer. The children's lawyers must file a reply by November 23rd. Finally, a federal judge has ordered both the Trump administration and TransCanada to stop all work on the controversial Keystone XL pipeline, ruling that President Trump's approval of the pipeline's cross-border permit last year violated several key environmental and administrative laws. The judges ruled that the administration simply discarded climate facts in its analysis supporting the pipeline. Quote, an agency cannot simply disregard contrary or inconvenient factual determinations on climate change. 
change. The State Department must now complete a new supplemental environmental impact statement that accounts for the effects of climate change and the impacts of potential oil spills on Native American tribal resources. So they can't just change policy because they want to. They actually have to show that there's evidence to support good reason for changing this policy? Exactly. Well, what about 48,000 new jobs that would be created, as Donald Trump said? Why not 40, 11 T billion? Exactly. In truth, how many jobs are we talking about for the KXL? Less than 4,000 temporary jobs, only 35 permanent jobs. 35 permanent jobs. Mm -hmm. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I think that's one of the hardest parts of this job right now is just uh, keeping up with the uh, 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 the toxic sludge tsunami of lies. Of lies. Indeed, yeah. it is. I mean, and, and figuring out which ones are even worth responding to and which ones are worth ignoring. Yeah, it's just uh, too much. It's it's amazing. Um, yeah, you said uh, on the uh, on that Keystone XL, by the way, you yes. had a point. You wanted yes, to... just one quick follow-up yeah. that uh, TransCanada, the pipeline developer and owner, says that it is still committed to following through on construction of the Keystone XL. So this fight's going to go on for a while. And it, will they even have the customers for it? The last I heard, they weren't even sure that they could, uh, that it was worth them doing. That yeah, they... it's a good question. And investors, their investors are asking We'll see what they decide to end up doing. Well, now they're going to do it if only because they don't want to make uh, Donald Trump look like a chump, which, good luck. Too late. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Thank you very much uh, to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Sarah Henderson of Common Cause Georgia, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's thrilling broadcast, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast download site. We uh, always appreciate if you can leave a nice comment or a good rating for us. That helps other people find our work as well here. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Find, follow, and share us there. And... My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. I know we have to sort of say it every day here, but you really are the folks who keep us on the air as we struggle to stay on your public airwaves. We don't rely on uh, political groups or corporations to continue to do what we do. We rely only on you, and we really need you to keep going. Please consider getting a subscription of any amount you like or making a one-time donation at bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.